This week on Inside the Ropes, a welcome addition to the hugely popular Players Series. Bryson DeChambeau makes an impact on the World Long Drive competition and another nominee in the Visionary of the Year competition. It's that time of the week. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Ropes. We're up to episode 227 today. I'm Martin Blake, Media Manager for Golf Australia, and we've got a full book of activity planned for our listeners today. We're going to be joined by Nick Dasty from the Australasian PGA Tour, as well as a legend of Australian golf in Peter O'Malley, the famous POM, who, and they're going to talk us through the new tournament to be played next March in the Hunter Valley, which is great news. We'll also chat to Susan Marler from Riversdale Golf Club in Melbourne about what her club's done for the cause of women's and girls' participation, plus a whole lot more from the world of golf, all of which leads me to my co-host for this week. It's a welcome back to Matt Cutler from Golf Australia High Performance. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, we're back playing golf in Melbourne, which is nice. I'm not sure whether you've hit a ball yet. I haven't hit a ball since uh, box or oh, the day after Boxing Day last oh, year. Oh my goodness! Uh, once a year for me, but it was at Sandringham. It's amazing. Uh, people who work in golf don't play much golf. Uh, it never fails to never fails to uh, or cease to amaze me. Um, I, I hang around people that play it really well, so um, no desire <laughs> to play it the way I do. <laughs> Uh, Cuts, it's great to see uh, some of it with the, some of our bigger tra- tournaments struggling, either struggling or, you know, the Australian Open, uh, men's Australian Open has been put back till till next year. But but the Australasian Tour has been able to add a, you know, add a tournament, which was announced yesterday, which is the uh, Players Series event at Hunter Valley next March. It's good news, isn't it? Yeah, really good news. The, the schedule is looking really nice from a women's and men's perspective, but the TPS event. So I went to the inaugural one at Rosebud earlier this year and then spent a day at Bonnie Doon. They are everything you want in a golf tournament. Just the modern way, isn't it? That they're just cashing in on the, you know, what what the public want to see. Well, it's just it makes sense. It's it's women and men, it's boys and girls, it's amateurs and pros. The juniors get a an opportunity to play with the pros that have made the cut. It there's there's not a golfer out there that misses out. Brad Kennedy, I think, won the uh, event down at Rosebud on the Mornington Peninsula. But Sue O and Elvis Smiley, uh, two players who have really come through Golf Australia and the state programs, were right up there contending. So from your point of view, it must have been just superb to see that happen. Yeah, it was. I think at one point, Sue and Elvis both had the lead with a few holes to go. But then you had um, Jack Holland, um, playing the junior event and Molly McLean um, birding the last four and and it almost took a little bit of the uh, the limelight away from the professionals with um, with the way they were playing. Jack birdied the last to, to win that. Um, like I said before, it just every golfer is represented in these events and they're great. We'll talk to Peter O'Malley and Nick Dasty about that on the show later, but uh, the news around uh, Australian golf this week uh, without, with apologies for being a bit Melbourne centric in this instance has been the toilet ban, which I found pretty extraordinary uh, last week. It's been reversed. The Victorian government is now allowing golf clubs and facilities to open their toilets. But uh, Matty, it just made a few of us shake our head last week. 
Yeah, there there were a few emails and tweets that that came out that I'm sure the people that wrote them didn't ever think they'd have to write about toilets reopening. But uh, yeah, yeah, nothing nothing surprises at, at this stage. The positive is we're we're back playing golf here in in Victoria or in Melbourne anyway. The the regional um, areas have had golf back for a little while, and and that's the main thing, and and, and great for everyone to be able to get out and about. Yeah, I just uh, I thought that uh, the communication of some of these things leaves a lot to be desired. Now, it was a decision taken, even though a lot of people who don't know how these things work want to blame Golf Australia for this. All Golf Australia does is pass on the directives that come from the government via the health department, and, and it was a health department of Victoria decision. Uh, my understanding from checking with um, some people within my family who are involved in the or work in the health industry is that they are concerned about public toilets being a, a clo- obviously a closed space with a lot of different people going through that area and they they do think it it is dangerous but but they don't explain that they never explain that they just introduced the rule a day a, a day after they brought golf back in melbourne they introduced this rule which had to be passed on to clubs and people like uh, andrew kirby the captain of royal melbourne were just apoplectic about this you know um i mean golf's a game that takes four hours to play uh you've got a lot of yeah. you know older people playing i mean how can you really close the toilets yeah 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 i mean the fact that we're even discussing it's crazy <laughs> and 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 obviously with all that's going on um the toilets on golf courses aren't at the top of the agenda but um you you would think that it, it, it comes up and and it's ticked off and and they're open, but uh, anyway, they're open now. But uh, yeah, quite quite the week in, in communications, I would have thought for you, Blake. It, it was absolutely, it's just proof of how crazy the world is that we live in at the moment. Uh, just for a quick tournament wrap, uh, PGA Tour, the Sanderson's Farm Championship was won by Sam Burns, who's I think in the top 20 in the world now. He's under the radar from our point of view, but uh, he certainly won that. All the Australians missed the cut there in the Dunhill links on the European tour. Danny Willett won for the first time for a couple of years. That's a mm. good event as well. I, I saw a little bit of, of that. Obviously played at St Andrews and Canoosti and some of the Kings Barnes and some of the famous links courses there in Scotland. Yeah, great to it doesn't matter who's playing to be honest in those fields. It's great to see those golf courses, isn't it? Anytime. Absolutely. Celine Boutier of France won on the LPGA Tour, her first win since she won the Vic Open, I think, in 2019. But the standout there from an Australian point of view, and we've heard this a bit lately, was Sue O, oh, who finished tied seventh. And she is now number 40 on the points list on the LPGA Tour. Sue O oh from mm-hmm. Melbourne, who you've obviously had a, a lot to do with uh, dating back to her amateur days. But Sue, I mean, we've talked about her a lot. She's a player who we expected a lot of she was an incredible amateur player really came along and and was edging along with Minji Lee and then Minji went whoosh and won multiple times and got into the top 10 in the world and Sue has not won yet so maybe it's not far away maybe no well she's had uh two top 10s in the last three events she's played and and everyone takes their own amount of time so she's only 25 I think she's played about 10 Australian Opens um She's still very young and travels. Uh, traveling the world hasn't been too easy the last couple of years, as we know. So 25, um, plenty of time left. And, uh, yeah, I think Sue's going to have a really good uh, next few years. 
She's definitely one to watch. And speaking of Minji Lee, she was runner-up on the Korean LPGA tour. Uh, she was having a stop stop off there, Matt, uh, on her way to the Asian tour swing for the LPGA and the Hana Bank Championship. Hana is her primary sponsor. It's on her cap. So she stopped there and played, got into a playoff. Not sure whether you saw much of it. Um, she was ultimately beaten by Ga Eun Song, uh, a local Korean player who's 20 and a rookie on that tour, but that's an incredibly tough tour. It's the second best tour in the world by some, some margin, I would imagine. And Minji actually led up the last hole. Uh, she led by three at one point on the back nine, led by a shot coming up the last hole, could only make a par on the par five, albeit that she hit a nice shot in there. Song hit a magnificent shot in there, wedge shot to about two feet and made the birdie. So they went through a playoff played three holes of a playoff and Minji didn't quite play as well in the playoff. She, she kept hitting the greens and she made steady pars, but in the end, Gar and Song uh, hit another one close with her third shot on the par five. They played the same hole, made the birdie and beat her. Yeah. Had a bit of airtime this, uh, this weekend, that event in uh, a similar time zone to us. So did catch a bit of that. And yeah, as you said, um, Minji was just outplayed in that playoff, but uh, all goes well for her in the Asian swing that's coming up. Well, that's two runner-up finishes in a row for Minji Lee, who's, who is incredibly uh, consistent. And, of course, she won her first major title this year at the Evian Championship. So she's back inside the top 10 in the world. I haven't looked at the rankings this week, but she was number nine last week. She may even be a little bit higher than that. So she's, again, having some sort of year. Steph Kiriaku has had a, a great year in Europe, maybe just tailed off a little bit recently. She was 34th on the ladies european tour but she's dropped down to number three on the money list or point list there i believe that the top five get into the final stage of uh lpga tour school at the end of the year so that would be a target for steph i would imagine absolutely absolutely she's probably too good to be playing on the ladies european tour with no disrespect intended i think she deserves to be on the lpga very quickly yeah and that's that's obviously where any any elite uh, player wants to end up and and she's proven with her results over the last 18 months that she should be playing on the LPGA tour. Matty, we might start with our first break and we'll come back in a moment. We'll talk the Players Series. Back in a moment. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. As I mentioned earlier, the PGA of Australia or the Australasian PGA Tour announced this week that they've added a tournament to the WebEx Players Series that was so popular Last summer, this one, one being at the Oaks Cypress Lakes Resort in the Hunter Valley, New South Wales, from 10 to 13 March. The WebEx Players Series, for those who haven't cottoned onto it, is a mixed event, which means it takes in the best players from the Australasian Tour as well as the WPGA, and it also includes amateur players. It's different, and it's really good. So adding another tournament to the ones in Victoria and also the Sydney event is only going to make it better. Uh, you'll re- remember, Maddie, that Last year, the events were hosted by either golf legends or celebrities, and this one's being presented by none other than Peter O'Malley and Jan Stevenson, two absolute icons of Australian golf. And on that note, it's hello to you from outside Goulburn somewhere to Peter O'Malley. Hi. How you going? Lucky. I'm glad, glad to be involved here. Um, yeah, so it's fantastic, the, the announcement of the new tournament, and um very happy to be involved with, with Jan Stevenson, legend of the game. And, um, yeah, can't wait for it to all happen. And, um, yeah, like the series just um, last year was fantastic. Yeah, and I played in the tournament at Bonnie Doon and 
and just to be able to mix with uh, the the men and the women and the, the young amateurs, it's um it's a great format and um, yeah something we're looking forward to seeing seeing grow and more in the future. What's it like to have a, a tournament named after your your good self, Pom? Oh, I have just um, very proud to be involved in it. Um, yeah, it's incredible to um, put back into golf and I'm very humbled to be involved in it. So um, yeah, it's a fantastic concept and, and to have my name um, involved in it, it's just something I'm very proud of. Nick Dasty, Tournaments Director for the Australasian Tour, has joined us as well. And Nick, um, these events are only going to grow by the look of it. That's certainly the plan, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Blakey, um, you know, the, the plan when we when we set out uh, last year, when we when made the announcement around the, the Victorian and Sydney events was certainly to to grow the series with a vision of, of getting sort of to eight to 10 events over the next five years. Um, so to, to have the third one come on at, uh, at Hunter Valley is, is a step in the right direction and, and something, I guess, that through these COVID times over the last 12 to 18 months to, to be creating a series like this and, and to have created three brand new events um, is, is very satisfying and, and you know, we're, we're certainly not finished and, and we'll certainly keep pushing ahead and, and grow the, grow the circuit, but to, to be able to do it in these times shows that um, the format and and what we've created with the, the men and the women and and also the juniors joining on the weekend has has been well accepted, well embraced, uh, and really shows the inclusiveness of of golf as a as a sport and its ability to um, to be inclusive and and have everyone involved. Uh, it's always been like that as a sport, but to be able to do it now at the professional level and at the at the pinnacle of the sport um, is, is fantastic and can really showcase our game. That's a great point, Nick. I think uh, showcasing it is the key. Peter, you said that you're excited to be involved and uh, and have it named uh, after you. What will your involvement look like during the week at Cypress Lakes? Um, well, I, I guess just as a host, I'm just there, just helping out, doing a lot of media thing I, I do intend to play as well so um so that that'll be good and I, I, obviously I'll um, be guided by Nick what my um involvement is um during the week but yeah just happy to just um be there and, and do whatever and whether I can just help them promote the event like last year the, the events they had a lot of um activities with the juniors during the week and 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 with the women as well so we, you know we do quite a few webinar things so um, yeah, this is quite quite exciting to to be involved, and um, yeah, well, obviously that it'll be a, a busy week, and but I'll try and um, play some good golfers while I'm there. It'll be busy for you, Pete. It'll be busy. Let me tell you, we'll have you we'll have you going from one side of the golf course to the other, and uh, and also utilising you in the evenings, mate. So the four hours on course might be might be the easiest four hours of your day. <laughs> That's right, exactly. So. Oh, what a great venue, though. Yeah, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wine lover, so what a, what a great place to, to host an event. I was going to say, Pom, it might be a bit embarrassing if you uh, if you jump up and win the thing. A bit like remember Tiger Woods presenting uh, his own trophy to himself that that year a few years ago. Yeah, I um I, I've sort of got no expectations to do that, but anyway, you you never know. I had one a tournament up in that area, so um yourself, I was open, but but I yes, I think my um my Golfing might not be the best thing there that week, but we'll try and do our best. And um, I've just got to take some time off farm work to get out and practice. Yeah, um, 
Mac and and Blakey, can I just add with with Pete's involvement and and also Jan? Look, Jan's really hopeful of being able to get home from America um, to be on the ground and and hosting and and really be a part of the event. So so we really hope that can happen. But but obviously, if it can't, uh, we have uh, our great partner in in Webex by Cisco that we can utilise throughout the week. And and as we did do uh, in our events earlier this year when we had the likes of uh, Hannah Green and Danielle Kang coming in from America on a, on a WebEx and had, you know, six of the up-and-coming stars of Australian uh, women's golf for a bit of a Q&A roundtable. Um, we had Carrie Webb coming in on, on WebEx for one of the junior mentoring sessions, which Pete was also on the ground hosting. Um, so, so Jan's really hoping to get home, but uh, one way or another, she'll be heavily involved in the event uh, along with Pete. And really, you know, having these legends of uh, of Australian golf involved with these events is is a massive part of it. And utilising their expertise and and being able to have the juniors uh, and the young and up and coming pros really um, bounce some ideas off them, ask questions, and and learn from their great experience. And that's really it, Nick. I I remember at the events last summer. I think last year, last earlier this year, actually, yeah. <laughs> we lose track of time at the moment. Uh, just how inclusive they are from not only the players that are playing the tournament, but the juniors that are involved on the weekend. Can you just explain a little bit about how the week plays out? Yeah, sure. So we we start out like like most of our tournaments with a field of of one forty four. Um, at the moment, um, it is a bit more stacked on on the male side because of the COVID times and and a lot of the international girls that normally come down from the LET um, not being able to get into Australia. But uh, the intention is moving forward that the events will be a field of 50, you know fifty percent male, fifty percent female. Uh, so we get to play Thursday, Friday, normal cut. So top fifty and ties make the cut whether that's male or female. So whoever makes the cut uh, is what plays on the weekend. And then on the weekend is where we have a 36-hole junior player series as well. So the groups on the weekend are, are played in threes um, and pretty much every group will have two professional golfers uh, and one of the juniors. Uh, the juniors, again, like the like the professional side, is is male and female. So it's the, the leading juniors uh, in that state, effectively, that will play the event, along with making sure that whatever region or whatever place we play the event in, there's some, you know, there's a local flavour to it. So, you know, there'll be somewhere between six to 10 local Hunter Valley juniors playing in the event and the rest will be filled with, uh, with those juniors that are really showing promise and, um, you know, representing New South Wales in, in state junior teams and, and things like that. So, um, you know, last year we, we had, multiple great stories out of the junior side but um we for example we had uh we had young molly mclean who was a who's a rosebud member and was 14 years old um in contention to win the the junior side and making birdie up the last put pressure on jack holland who's heading over to to college in the states and and he julie uh, got up and made birdie up the last to to beat her and um, you know, so we've we've got some some great things going on on the junior side, and and it's fantastic to see some of those local juniors getting out in front of their members, and you know, being on TV uh, and playing with some of the greats of Australian golf. I'd like to ask both of you about the format uh, and the fact that it's a different format. It seems to be a big push worldwide, but Australia's really leading the way. And I think Pom, you were saying off the air that you felt like in COVID times, this is just a great opportunity. 
Well, it is, and I, I, I guess that the the, um, the hardest thing is, is getting the course set up right. So um, I, I think um, having getting the course set up so, so the women obviously play off different tees, but we play the same pin placements and, and getting the balance of how, how to set the course up so it is competitive. And I think um, over the, the previous two tournaments, it proved that you, the setup was quite quite well done because there was a mix of good male and women players in, in the mix trying to win the tournament. So that's part of the just getting the course set up so we can all um, compete on the one, one sort of um, one pin placements with different tees. But, yeah, I, I think it's just a fantastic um, opportunity for us to all get out there and, and Australia has been leading the way in this. And, and it's um, you know, started with the men and women playing together in the Vic Copen, but um, we're, we're in alternate groups. But now actually playing together, it's just a great incentive and, and I think it'll grow all over the world. And you haven't, I mean, until this came along, you, you wouldn't have, you've played golf all your life, but you haven't played much with women, have you, or girls? Certainly not, 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 no. since, um, not since the amateur days when we played mixed foursomes and things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's a great opportunity to get out and, and see how, how good the women players are. Like, obviously, like I referred to the Vic Open before, we, we actually play in, in, at the same um tournament but we weren't playing actually together we were in alternate groups but now getting the opportunity to see these young girls and and women play um it's just a fantastic opportunity and and i guess it's for them to see what the men men are like and how competitive it is and nick uh, a comment on that as well as peter's very uh, astute comment about the setting up of the course what we i suppose we're talking about is uh, you know, fairway bunker carries are obviously a lot different. Uh, the women don't tend to spin the ball as much, so you know you have to be careful with pin placements in certain spots. Uh, but on the other hand, you have to challenge the men as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Look, getting the course set up is is vital to um, the success of these events. And you know, Graham Scott um, is sort of leading the charge from a, the PGA Tour of Australasia point of view on that, but. Um, to do it, um, you know, it's a very in-depth um, process uh, working with the venues, working on, you know, if there's some tees required um, to ensure that we can get that balance right. Um, we work on that with the venues a long way out. And, you know, at, at Rosebud and, and Bonnie Doon have, have created a couple of new tees to, to make sure we can, can get that set up right. Um, we engage a number of the players in the months leading up to the events and, and get out there and, and have, you know, men and women, uh, elite players playing the golf course to, to check that, it, that all the theory that we've, we've put into it and all the distances um, are working out and that the golf course does play the same for the men and the women. And, and the key is here um, not to have their drives necessarily finishing in the same spot. We want them hitting the same club into the greens. So, Right. You know, if the if the average male golfer, uh, male professionals hitting a pitching wedge into the first hole, we want the average distanced female golfer professional to be hitting pitching wedge into the first as well. And and like you said, the pin positions play a key part to that too, and and making sure they're accessible for all with the different spin rates and and that. And you know, look, um, you know, we we had some good success, um, particularly at this with the setup at at Rosebud with Suo getting to um, equal leader with three or four holes to go before uh, Brad Kennedy had an amazing finish to, to knock her off. So, um, yeah, we're, 
we've got some great tea options at uh, at Oak Cypress Lakes as well. There's there's plenty of tea options, so we're we're confident that the setup there will be spot on. And a nice drop of red wine up that way as well. Hey, Pom, um, I just wanted to ask you, Nick, whether you've got any news on the other events in the player series. Uh, are you going back to Rosebud and Bonnie Doon? Do you do you know that yet? Yeah, for sure. We we'll be at uh, we'll be at Rosebud in in early February and. And uh, and Bonnie Doon in in early March, so we'll we'll have all three events in the first quarter of next year. Uh, really looking forward to, to those, and you know our, our host of those two events, Jeff Ogilvie and and Brayton Astor, um, right in behind those events, and and can't wait to to get out there and host again. And um, you know, just want to make special mention of of Pom and and Jan coming on board um, for these events. It's you know f- for them to be. You know, giving back to the game in this way. Um, Pom earlier in the year when he played at Sydney, you know, gave up his time uh, all throughout the week to, to help out. And it shows what uh, what people like Pom and Jan can do for, for our game. So um, big thank you, Pom, for for your efforts and, and getting involved um, with this event. And um, like I said, we, we hope Jan can get home and, and be on the ground as well. Pom, you might have to get out uh, after you move those cattle today and hit a few balls. Yeah, it's um, it's very cold and windy here today. It um, says it's eight degrees, feels like one, and it's um, blowing about thirty mile an hour. So um, it's not the best sort of conditions to practice in. But uh, anyway, I'm sure we'll work on it. Soon. I don't think it'll bother you, uh, Maddie. I, I uh, the first time I ever saw Pom hit a hit a golf ball was on the range at the Australian quite a few years ago, and I I've never forgotten it to this day. It's it's something. It is something else. I'm sure you feel the same. Uh, 10 to 13 March are these dates at Oak Cypress Lakes in the Hunter Valley. It's the WebEx Players Series. Uh, it's a great concept, and thanks for joining us today, Peter O'Malley and Nick Dusty. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. We'll be back with more after this break. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, brought to you by Australian Golf Media. Now, Matt, the visionary of the year competition is coming to its climax, and this week another monthly winner was announced, that being Riversdale Golf Club in Victoria, which is a place very familiar to you as a club champion, I believe. <laughs> Sorry to embarrass you. Yes, like, uh, no, no, you're Back embarrassing the, the rest of the field, the to be fair. Um, <laughs> pretty, pretty. <laughs> um, yes, I've been a member there for a, a very long time. My family uh, through the generations have, so... Very fond of Riversdale. Me as well. Uh, It's a beautiful place, I think, Riversdale. It's hilly and it's a challenging walk, but it's just a superb golf course. Uh, And congratulations to the club for for winning this award. And the club will go into the the nominations for the, the annual award as well. Anyway, it's a pleasure to welcome to Inside the Ropes today, Susan Marler, who's a past president of Riversdale. She's going to talk us through the changes that occurred at that club. Uh, Susan, welcome. Martin, thank you. What actually happened at Riversdale? Just in short, I believe that in your time as president going back a couple of years, um, you know, you did identify through the the Vision 2025 program that Golf Australia runs, you did identify that there was a bit of an issue at your club with the imbalance. And you, uh, uh, you know, in short, you did a number of things, but uh, you, you did for a short period of time, uh, members who, who had been at the club for at least 15 years were able to uh, offer a joining free 
uh, or, or a waiver of the joining uh, fee uh, to, to someone that you knew. And you, you ended up uh, uh, through, through this program, you ended up, I think, picking up something like 50 new members. That's right, Martin. It was, um, we ran the program for actually four weeks and it was members who have been a member for 15 years or more and they could offer their friends or family or colleagues a waiver of the entrance fee. And, in fact, we um, ended up with 56 new female members. Um, yep. And of which we've still retained 49. But um, I just want to go back a few steps, if I may, because I really want to thank um, Golf Australia's uh, Vision 2025, the roadshow that they did um, 2018, I think it was. So we had, as a club, we had quite a few of us attending that roadshow um, with Shiloh and Megan. And I think it, we just, um, it was inspiring, raising questions. How, how do we not only increase female participation in golf, but in the governance of the club and um, equity in um, playing rights for all members. So that was very inspirational and the club took that on. It was endorsed in 2018 in the Vision 2025 and we set up in 2019 a Vision 2025 subcommittee and they've been an advocate for these changes. So um, it was uh, very inspiring at the time. Susan, we, we do a few of these interviews on Inside the Ropes with clubs who have made changes. And I generally say to the, the women who come on, it feels to me like the tide has turned in this space. Do you think so? I think it has. I think it has because um, we've recognised, and I think um, early on, that women are more careful about their spending habits they're not so willing to spend a lot of money on membership fees and especially invest that money into something that they're not even sure they're going to like. A lot of women have never played golf before and we're seeing that change. I mean, our intake, we had um, experience levels from zero playing golf to low handicappers and we've been able to manage that and now they're all there um, enjoying, enjoying the wonderful game of golf. It's kind of a calculated gamble for the club because clubs are protective of that joining fee. It, it is an influx of money that they can they can use to for the benefit of the club. And if they do waive it, I mean, let's uh, it's risky, I suppose. But um, I can see more and more clubs doing this with women because there is a need for proactive uh, sort of stance in this. And if you look at fifty six new members. Um, I don't know, let's say at $4,000, you know, what does that extrapolate to? I mean, it's it's better. It's a better result for the club anyway if you can pull that off. It is long-term, absolutely, and the the obstacle, the, the challenge is to how do you retain, retain those members. It's just not welcoming new members. You have to retain them, keep them year after year, um, uh, give them that loyalty to the club. You need to encourage that loyalty to the club and that's what the we have worked hard on doing and um, yeah just retaining those numbers it's very important because the long term annual fees all add up as well 
And it's not just the annual fees, it's it's the flow on effect of the, of the clubhouse and the functions. And Absolutely. and look, I'm biased. I think Riversdale's a magnificent golf course, but my, my love of Riversdale stems from the social aspect and 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 that's why I've enjoyed being a member there for so long. What what sort of things have you done, Susan, socially to interact and and engage the new female members? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Um, it, Riversdale is very unique in that way, and our mixed events are are known. We, we've loved doing our mixed events, and um, to get our women more involved, it was just basic things like first thing we did was hold a cocktail party for the new members and their partners which was a lot of fun, not only to welcome them, but to introduce to each other, to the new members to meet each other, which is very important so that they can get friendship groups and so forth. Our pro shop, John Horvath, set up group lessons, which were very popular, especially for those who had no experience in golf. WhatsApp group was very successful. So the the new members could communicate with each other, set up games, go to lessons together. Oh, what else? Morning teas. We had lots of morning teas followed by nine holes with long-term standing members. It sounds like you it sounds like you broke broke it down really easily for the new members because it, it is an intimidating sport to begin and it's certainly an intimidating place to walk in on your own. So to come in with 50 fellow members that are all beginning at the same time must have must have helped them all, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think also that reflects on our women members. Um, we've always had that attitude. If somebody walks into the club and's looking around, you know, they'll call you over, come and sit with me, you know, pull a chair up, uh, introduce themselves. Um, yeah, it's very unique. Yeah, our club, I think, in that way. Yeah, Susan, uh, what do you think about this issue of getting women and girls involved? What are the, the barriers uh, we've talked about the joining fee being difficult for for new members you know if they're not sure whether they like it what, what else do you think uh, stops women and girls from getting involved in golf clubs well it's it's interesting and I go back to this um, roadshow the vision 2025 roadshow and they and you take a step back then and just look at your club and it can be driving up to the clubhouse is intimidating. Why, how do I get from my car to the clubhouse on my own without knowing anybody? So if you can just even get out there, which we've tried to do, and our new members, our sorry, our long-term members are very aware of the new members coming on and, you know, introduce themselves in the car park, come on up, what time you're playing, who you're playing with. Um, yeah, so it's, it's from the car park to the clubhouse Rules and etiquette can be overwhelming, so we've tried to break that down, just keep it really basic at the moment. Try to We've got introduced a buddy system, which has been fabulous, so the girls will go out and play with their buddy who will just softly, softly go on to basic rules, etiquette, etc. So there's lots of steps that you have to take. It's not just... I think men are happy just to walk in, that's it. But the women, uh, we're different. We're a different breed. And I think uh, men, a lot of men play for the competition. Yes, um, yeah. But women, a lot of women are just there for the social. And to walk into a club, if you're not a particularly experienced golfer and then to be expected to play 
competition golf on a difficult golf course, it doesn't really make much sense. They're better off to go and play socially for, I don't know, 12 months even. Absolutely, Martin. And, um, again, we've recognised that. So we've had um, given them their own tea times. Um, They'll go out with the new members that they've made friends with. We did a survey about a year after they joined and asking them how we can improve what we're offering to them. And a lot of them, well, as a result of that survey, we came back and we've offered um, a nine-hole comp just for the new members and their buddies, just slowly introducing them. Yeah, slowly introducing them to different ways of scoring, par, Stableford, um, stroke. Um, Yeah, so that was unfortunately covid has reared its ugly head, so that's definitely been on and off over the past few months. And I think you, you've done some things around governance as well, maybe changed your club championships so there was some weekends involved there which helps the you know, the young uh, student players or, or even the, even the young, younger mums. Uh, it gives them an opportunity to play in the championships and I think the board is 25% uh, women as well. Yes, we did. We changed our... Club championships, they are now played over um, the weekend as well as during the week to help those, to aid those that are working or students. The Vision 2025 subcommittee has been an advocate for increasing um, female participation in the club's governance. We've got 25% representation on the board at the moment. We have... Uh, the subcommittee has advocated a 33% participation of women on all committees as well as the board. So, and we're really streaming ahead with that. I think um, most committees are at least 33%, if not more. Yeah, it really seems like there's a, a commitment there, which is step one, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I've spoken to a lot of clubs about this over the last couple of years. Some, sometimes some of these, some of the things that can be done are as simple as moving the honour boards around or the photographs, making sure you've got a lot of women and girls represented in your photographs in your, uh, you know, on your walls. Uh, I remember speaking to one club down in Gippsland and the guy, the president went to the roadshow with Shiloh Curtis from Golf Australia. And she mentioned about the photographs of the club champions. And he went back inside the club and he was the women's champions leaderboard over here above the toilet somewhere. And here were all the men around here. So he straight away moved them around. There, there, are, there are things that can be done. That's why we like to publicise the things that clubs do do because some of them are willing to do stuff but they're not quite sure what to do. But anyway. Could not agree more. And in our experience, our um, trophies, all our trophies were down in the ladies' locker room. Crazy. Nobody saw them except the women. So they've been moved to the front entrance where we've got equal representation of trophies in the front entrance. Our honour boards are upstairs now. There's a few that could still be moved, but um, we're getting there. And definitely that's um, so important. And especially young women, they come into the club and they can't understand why why the women's trophy is downstairs or the women's photos downstairs. Of course. And, uh, you know, it really sounds like Riversdale doing some good work here. Uh, Riversdale Golf Club wins a $500 Drummond Golf voucher and is now in the running to win up to $10,000 worth of products from the latest Callaway Reva product range, which are designed 
specifically for women. The overall visionary of the year will be voted upon very soon, I believe, Maddie, and announced sometime in the next month or so. So good luck to Riversdale with that. And Susan, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and congratulations to the club. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Matt. We'll be back with more on Inside the Ropes after this break. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Martin Blake and Matt Cutler with you, and it's general business time, Matty. Uh, did you happen to catch much of Bryson DeChambeau's appearance in the World Long Drive? Because it was something to see. It was. It certainly got more publicity than the World Long Drive's ever had before, didn't it? It's, he absolutely kicked the goal for them. Hit one uh, longest drive. His longest drive was 406 yards. I presume he, they, you know, they all use a longer shafted driver, don't they? Because they're allowed to. They tend to. I'm not. I'm not sure of what Bryson's setup was, but um, I, I think, and and this is me assuming Bryson with with his talent um, throughout the entire game of golf probably kept more on the park than than the others, and that was probably oh, one yes. of his weapons. Well, he, he finished sixth, is that correct? So uh, made it to the to the last round. A guy called Kyle Berkshire, who I think has won it a couple of times, was the winner. But uh, he was certainly very competitive, and he's uh, he certainly put that competition on the map. I, I you know we've spoken about him a lot before. I, I I don't mind watching him play. I think it's been interesting what he's brought to the table because he's basically saying, well, the technology is turning the game or pointing the game this particular way, I'm just going to blast it out there as far as I can. And if I'm in the rough, I'll be hitting a wedge anyway. So, you know, he's yeah. kind of, I don't, I don't blame him for, for, uh, you know, taking this on. I think it's interesting at the very least. Oh, absolutely. And I think, and you, you touched on this last week, but it, it's a weapon in the actual game of golf, not just the long driving uh, aspect of it, knocking it on the first, like he did uh, in that match at the Ryder cup. Yeah. You're one up straight away because of the weapon you've got. Um, he he he's not a sideshow. Granted, this was a bit of a sideshow this week, but he's not. And um, you, you just wonder how many other people in both the men's and women's game are going to take take his stance and, and see what they can do with it. Did you see uh, the performance of Alejandro Del Rey at the Swiss Challenge on the Challenge Tour, the secondary European Tour? Shot fifty eight. Yeah, I did. Uh, well, I didn't see it. Um, certainly heard about it. It was a nice 58. It was a par 72 hole. Sorry, a par 72 um, golf course. It was a neat 29 out, 29 in. Like, if you're going to shoot 58, that's that's a beautiful way to do it, isn't it? I couldn't believe it. Golf San Apollinaire, it's called. Eight birdies, three eagles. And what got me was he parred in the last three holes. So, <laughs> did he? Did he? He probably walked off this. He disappointed. <laughs> Only shot fifty-eight. You, you're right. It's it's a bit of history because there have been fifty-eight shot on pro tours. I think Rio Ishikawa did it, and Jim Furyk actually did it mm-hmm. on the main US tour. But or was it the US tour or the US seniors? Uh, but they were all of those were on par seventy or seventy-one courses. This is the first time it's happened on a par seventy-two. So didn't uh, do much good uh, though. He only finished tenth for the week. He shot fifty-eight and didn't win the tournament. Yeah. It's ex- extraordinary some of the scoring in these these tournaments. Matty, I wanted to ask you about Sandringham, the new Australian golf centre, which is complete. Um, because of the Melbourne lockdown, Golf Australia and the PGA of Australia aren't able to move in there yet, but you, as part of the high-performance team, are able to do some work in there. Is that right? Yeah. But, so and how does it look? 
um, via the uh, the guidelines uh, in Victoria, the high performance athletes are able to train a couple of times a week. Um, it's a phenomenal facility. We've we've been utilising the the range and the short game area for about twelve months, but the the building itself is uh, is just. I mean, a building is a building, but this is a good one. It's about the people inside it, as we know. But I was out there yesterday. It was great to see golfers there. The the cafe, whilst not in in full action downstairs, is is serving coffees and 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 golf is back. But for for a place to work out of and for golf to be housed, it, it's it's going to be great to have both GA and the PGA in the same space. And both of those organisations really working hard to align a lot of their processes and their thinking as well. And being in the same building can only help. Oh, for sure. And even um, I believe upstairs that uh, all the staff are going to be mingled um, rather than a PGA area and a GA area. I think um, everyone's working together based on what department they work in. Outstanding. And speaking of uh, good young players, the South Australian amateur was played at Mount Osmond last week. And Sarah Wilson from Queensland, who you'd be familiar with, 20-year-old, who's been part of the programs for a while, won the women's South Australian amateur. And Joseph Buttress, who is a bit more of a newbie, he's only 16 years of age from Perth, won the men's South Australian amateur at Mount Osmond, a course that has incredible views across the countryside there, just on the outskirts of Adelaide. Yeah, I believe they had a fair bit of weather as well. Adrian Wickstein passed that on. But, uh, yeah, nice uh, nice to see competition golf being played from an amateur perspective. Capera um, Bowl in Queensland upcoming as well. And uh, and the golfers in the states that can travel are getting a nice opportunity. It would be, be interesting to see how they go withdrawing, a, you know, a, what, what you'd call a, a normal field at Capera. And la- last week we were talking to Kirsten Rudgley, who's going to be in the Australian team for the Asia-Pacific Amateur in the United Arab, Arab Emirates later this year. Um, but she's not sure whether she can get out, get in. Um, do you know much more about that? No, it's, clearly, it's very difficult. There's challenges, obviously, around that, and, and some of those have been alleviated by the announcement last week around international borders. But but with that, doesn't come a hell of a lot of surety at the moment. It's all a bit vague still. So um, when tournaments are looking for you to um, lock yourselves in and, and try and commit to them. It's hard from our point of view to do that. Matty, I think we're probably done. Are you uh, done for the day? No. Well, not 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 for the day. Done for the pod. You'll be. You'll be. Not like you, Blakey. Yeah, well, this is, this will just <laughs> take me out. I think. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining me today, Matty. It's been a pleasure to have you as ever. Uh, to all our listeners, make sure you subscribe through the usual channels. And one thing's guaranteed, we'll be back here next week with all the news and views on Aussie golf on Inside the Ropes.